Okay? So all those that have been asking me for the last month, next week, 8.15, okay? We'll still have the 11, but it's 8.15, all right? And Sunday school is somewhere in there. It's in the middle. Um, real quick, so anyone know how war, World War, what was it? Two. Was it two? Started? Uh, it's either the one or the two, right? Um, what happened? Like how it like, actually started? The assassination. No, no, the actual war. That was World War One, right? Yeah, I'm thinking that's not right. Um, yeah, so it was the Archduke. Yeah, Ferdinand, right? Um, you guys know the story of that? Okay, so he's he's driving right, and then there's supposed to be an assassin. I'm telling you a real brief version of it. There's supposed to be an assassin, and he didn't take the shot, or he got cold feet, or something like that. And then, so he's taken off, and then the driver of the Archduke, his car, makes a wrong way, turns the wrong way, and bam, right in front of the assassin. And the assassin takes a shot, and that starts World War One. There's a bunch of little things throughout history where it's like weird coincidences that lead into big things. Like there's this story of the Titanic and how they were switching crew and one of them had the key to the binocular locker and then he didn't give that key up and so they didn't have binoculars for the trip. And so they couldn't see the iceberg. Like, um, there's a story about Fidel Castro, how in the 40s he went up to, um, he wanted to play professional baseball, and so he comes up to the States, and he tries out, and they said, you'll never play professional baseball. So he goes down and gets into politics. And I don't know if you know that he's a dictator, or was the dictator of Cuba, right? There's a bunch of, like, little tiny things that happen if, if only the driver would have turned the right way or if only they gave the key or if only um, he played baseball, right? Uh, There's a story of Adolf Hitler that when he was six years old, um, he was having these nightmares every night and so they took him in to get um, analyzed by a doctor and the doctor says he needs to go into a mental institution. We need to do some stuff with him. And his parents said no because the dad was abusing him and they didn't want anyone to find out. And all just that little tiny thing. There's a story about FDR that um, when he was, before he was diagnosed with, uh, it was polio, correct? Um, before he was diagnosed with that, his doctor misdiagnosed him and said, oh, you just need to get a massage. And because of that, it actually um, made it worse. And so, what, yeah, what would have happened if he wasn't, if he was diagnosed correctly, that he got the right treatment? Maybe he will um, live further on, right? And so there's all these little tiny things that if they just went a different direction, the course of history could have changed, right? And so we're coming to the end of our summer series on the book of Judges. And the last thing we're talking about is one instance, one person who made a complete change in history. Alright, so we're going to be in the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. We're just going to fly through this because um, it's the last week of Judges. And like two weeks ago, I said, and we're done with Judges. 
and I heard this, all right, from the, everyone. And I said, except we're going to spend three weeks like kind of just going epilogue. We're just going to talk about different things. And so we, we talked for the last three weeks about different things. We talked about um, judges, how, um, how the scriptures deal with judges. Talked about Hebrews 11. Last week we talked about our own society, how we are parallel with them and actually we're worse than the judges' society. And I noticed there are several people that are not here from last week, so I knew I was going to run some people off. Um, but so there was, we talked about this, that last week. And so this week we're talking about Ruth. And the reason why, one, Ruth takes place during the judges' time frame. So it fits right there. But Ruth has a very specific reason why it's in Scripture. Okay, so all you need to know at this point about, oh, that's too early. You're giving away my secrets. Um, all you need to know about Ruth at this point is what previously happened in Judges. Okay, so Judges, don't look at the big type, look at the small type. Um, Judges, to understand where we're at right now before we go into Ruth, is to understand Judges is about a downward spiral of the nation of Israel. All right, if you understand that, that's basically what you need to know. That Judges starts off good. Israel was seeking God. Even when they would sin, they would still seek God. But by the time Judges ends, they're not seeking God at all. They're going off and they're doing their own thing. And you might have heard it said that Judges is a cycle of sin, um, punishment, uh, repentance, and salvation. You might have heard something like that. But Judges is really a downward spiral. They never quite get back to where they were in chapter 1. And they just get worse and worse and worse. In fact, it gets to the point where the very last sentence in Judges says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Meaning that they had turned away from God and now they're following their own moral compass, which was just leading them to more sin, more sin, more sin. And Judges, unlike almost every other book of the Bible, ends with a gut punch. It ends on a real sour note where everything's bad. Like... There is no happy ending. It's no Disney movie, right? And you think about this, like most, if you, if you watch any movie or read any story, they usually end with some sort of hope, right? Because if you buy your ticket to go to a movie, you don't want to watch a movie where you go, well, that was unfulfilling, that wasn't satisfying, I feel worse today than I did, you know, coming into this place. You want to feel better than you did because it's for escapism, right? And so you'll never really see movies that do that. And the movies that do aren't popular, right? Um, unless it's a Marvel movie, then they had, a, they had two movies, so they, they fixed that. Right. So that's the big thing. If we want to know where Judges is, Judges is the book that at the end you just said, Man, that was a crummy book. You know, it's kind of like going through Ecclesiastes. It's like, man, this is kind of a... Or, or Lamentations. Man, this is kind of a horrible book. Who would want to read this, right? Who would want to write it, too? you got to talk to Jeremiah about that. I mean, he had to go through that. But Judges ends at that point. But if we step back and we look at Ruth, Ruth is kind of an anomaly, all right, in the, the scope of Scripture. So one of the things that we talk about when we study Scripture is we always talk about 
reading a verse in its context. And we say our mantra is context is, anyone remember? King. king. Context is king. Meaning when you read a verse of the Bible, you should read the 10 verses around it, the 10 verses before those 10 verses, the 10 verses after those 10 verses at a minimum. Okay? Just to get a context. Then, if you really want to understand that verse, you need to know the chapter before and the chapter after that. Then if you really want to know it, you need to read the whole book. Then if you really want to know it, you need to read the whole section. Then if you really want to need to know it, you need to read the whole book, the whole Bible. Okay? Because God places every single verse, every single word, every single chapter, every single book in a very specific place within the Scripture. It's not there haphazardly. But if you zoom out and you look at, okay, let's look at the context of Ruth. Ruth is one of these books that it's weird. Because if you read from Genesis to Judges, it all has this idea of moving the, the story forward. Sorry, in Genesis 1, you have creation. Genesis 2, you have people. Genesis 3, you have the downfall of those people. Genesis 4 to 11, you have the nations how God is judging the nations, how the world is moving away from God. Genesis 12, you have the beginning of Israel with Abraham, right? And from then on, the focus is Israel's story. And then you get to Judges, and it's Israel bad. They're not doing well, right? They're falling. And then you get, if we just skip Ruth, you get Samuel. And Samuel is another of the Judges. He's moving forward. And then you get the, the Davidic dynasty, and that moves forward. And basically, that's the rest of the Old Testament, right? Until the downfall of the monarchy. So you have the, two, the split of the two nations. They, um, Assyria comes, takes over the northern one. Babylon comes in, takes out the southern, tri- or the southern kingdom. And then you have the, the different prophets. Then you have coming back. So now we're still moving the the story forward right still moving the story forward and then it ends jerusalem has been rebuilt jerusalem uh, the temple has been rebuilt now the focus turns to messiah and so you get this sense of the whole old testament from genesis through nehemiah is moving the story forward it's just constantly moving the story forward except for Ruth. Ruth has a weird story in the sense of all of a sudden you go through all this, it's pushing, it's pushing, it's pushing. You get to Ruth and it goes, oh, wait, 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 let's go back. There's a story we need to tell you. And it does put it, it doesn't push the narrative forward. Instead, it gives you insight into the narrative. But also what's interesting about Ruth is not only is it this kind of anomaly there, but you could have easily tacked it on to Judges. You could have easily tacked it on to Samuel. Like, you could easily have tacked it on to either one of these, yet it's purposefully stood alone within the canon of Scripture. And let's talk about the reason why. All right, so book of Ruth, we're going to start in the first chapter, and we're not going to read the whole book. Um... One, because there's too many weird names. Um, but two, um, we just need to hit the, the big things, okay, to understand it. So the first thing we're going to do, we're just going to look at the introduction, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1. 
right? Because that sets us up for everything that happens later. So let's look at that. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephraimites and the, from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Ophrah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there ten years, and both Malon and uh, Kilion died so that the women so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So let's just stop right there. This story starts out as if Judges is continuing on. So one of the things we talked about at the end of Judges, you had these two last stories about the Levites. And the Levites, they had left their areas. They had sojourned out of their areas. Their prescribed areas that God had said, this is your area. They had left those areas. Because they had left those areas... Sin starts happening. One of those sins was for the first Levite, he starts a cult. The other Levite, he allows his concubine wife to be abused and then killed. And it all starts with them leaving the area. So when we start reading that here's a guy and he leaves his area, it's almost as if here's another one of those stories about people leaving their God-ordained areas and go doing their own thing. So it starts out the same way. Another thing that we can see there is the son. So then, okay, let's stop, back up. The, then the man dies. And it's almost as if, oh, that must be God punishing. He did something wrong, so God punished. Then we get to the sons. Now the sons take Moabite wives. They take wives outside of Israel. We see that in the Judges too. Samson was going after women outside of Israel. And so you see very common things going on. And it's almost as if, okay, so this is just one of those other stories. And then we get Ruth, right? So Ruth is there. So the story goes on that, okay, now Ruth is going to stay with Naomi. Naomi tells her, hey, why don't you go back to your family? The first wife does, but Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you. Her staying is probably one of the most important things in the book of Ruth. And it happens in verses 16 and 17. Okay? Yeah, so if you're following along, so Ruth begins as if it's just another one of those accounts of that downward spiral. Okay? And it even emphasizes this by the name of Elimelech. His name means God is king. But by him leaving, what is he saying? God isn't king. So the name of the, the first man we see is very important because the name of the last guy we see is very important too. So we'll get to that. But so this just all starts off. So when we get to verse 16, we get this from Ruth. So Naomi says, why don't you go back to your family? And Ruth says, No. Verse 16 of chapter 1, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. This is, I can't emphasize it enough, how important this statement is. Because it's an oath. It's an oath of, I've re, I'm rejecting my, my uh, Moabite gods, my Moabite culture, and I am embracing Israel and Yahweh. Like, it's a, it's a complete rejecting, and it's an embracing of everything of covenant importance. And it's done in an oath. May the Lord, this is oath language. This is really important because previously in Judges, we saw two oaths. One was by a guy named Jephthah. And his oath was, Lord, if you give me this battle, anything coming out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. And it was his daughter. The other oath was by Israel, by all the tribes except for Benjamin and this one clan. And they said, um, we're going to destroy Benjamin and anyone that doesn't help us will destroy them too. And so this leads into a whole bunch of other problems. Thousands upon thousands of people are slaughtered. Women are taken, literally taken from their families. All because of these oaths. Those oaths were evil. Now we get another oath. Except this oath, it's good. It's God honoring. And so from just this thing, it, it starts, so Ruth starts with, oh, it's just another story about the horridness of judges. Except in this one moment, Ruth turns everything on its head. Here's this woman, Moabite woman, non-Israelite woman. It says, I reject everything. I'm going to follow Yahweh. This is huge, monumental stuff. And you know what she's eventually called in chapter 3, verse 11? A worthy woman. Now, that might not sound too important, except it's the same language that's used of Gideon. That when the angel of the Lord, who he talked about is the pre-incarnate Jesus, comes to Gideon, he says, you, man of valor, it's the same thing, man of worthy, worthy man. That language is used of Ruth. She is known as a, a valued woman, a worthy woman. And so this now, this whole, her story just completely changes where judges left off. Because Judges was, everyone's horrible, nothing's good going to happen, hope is lost. And then within just a few verses of Ruth, it's, wait a second, there's someone who does follow God. And you know what, it's not even an Israelite. That's big stuff. Because when you go into the Gospels, and Jesus meets a certain person, and he says, I have not seen faith like this in Israel. Who was he talking about? He's talking about a Roman, a non-Israelite. Stuff like this is big stuff in the Scriptures. When people who have, have, should have nothing to do with the God of the Bible embrace Him, it's made important stuff. And so Ruth is made important. And so the story goes on. Her and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. Uh, Naomi sends Ruth into the fields to work. Uh, and the, the, the 
social structure here is people would go through their fields and they would pick up but if anything was dropped that was left behind it was for the poor and so here's this young woman she's going through the fields and she's humbling herself to pick this stuff up off the ground for her in-law right her mother-in-law so She's treating her as her mother. She's honoring her. We went through the Ten Commandments last week. She's honoring your father and mother here. Right? She's doing these things. And as she's going through, she, a, a man sees her, an older man, and his name's Boaz, and he takes a liking to her. He's got the hots for her. He's like, who's she? Who is that girl? And he's told... And he says, basically, give her anything she wants. Like, she, he, he's enamored with this woman. He's like, give her whatever she wants. And he tells her, make sure you don't go out with the young man because he wants to protect her. Because just in case those guys are jerks, he doesn't want her getting hurt. So he says, go out with my young women. Be safe. He's, the Levite didn't do that. He said, no, 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 you go out there. When, the, when those men came to abuse him, he sent his concubine out there. Here's Boaz saying, no, 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 you go. Make sure you're not with the young men. Go with my young women. He's protecting her. And you start seeing that, okay, so judges is a horrible state, yet there's still people who are following God. There are people who are following the righteousness of God. They say, oh, God said this, I'm going to do that. And so, guess what words are used of him in chapter 3? He's a worthy man. The same language. So now you have two righteous people. Why? Why are they righteous? Because they're following God. And it's recognized. And so Naomi's like, he likes you. This is what you do. And Naomi instructs her in an old custom that here's an older man, probably has no shot with this woman. And so Naomi says, here's a way to be righteous in pursuing him. And so the whole, you go to the grain um, where he does the grain, you cover, you uncover his feet, you lay down. All of that seems weird, but it's an older custom to to connect with someone and say hey i like you it's it's kind of like that note do you like me check yes or no <laughs> right this is what she's doing do you want to marry me check yes or no and it's so great because boaz it's not just a guy that likes her. it's just not a guy that has money not just a nice guy but he's a close relative and so it not only is he good that way he's a close relative to her deceased husband and this falls into what's called the kinsman redeemer of the old testament this idea that if a woman um, if a woman's husband dies without producing an heir that one of the close relatives would then take her on as her as his own wife produce an heir and that heir would continue on the lineage of that family not a lot of people actually wanted to do that you actually see this in genesis with the guy that he's supposed to do this and he doesn't and God strikes him down dead. It's a very important thing because it was a way for society to take care of their vulnerable women. 
And so Boaz is excited. Like, he's just happy. When all this happens, she comes to him and is like, I like you, you like me, let's get married. He's like, I love to, but there's someone that's closer in kinsmen than I am. And so chapter 4 is him trying to figure out, and he does this so smoothly. Like, if you read this, he's like, he goes to the guy, he invi- the guy walks past him, um, it's kind of like a town meeting. He says, hey, come over here and talk to me. Hey, elders, come over here and talk to me. And he goes, hey, um, Naomi's back in town, right? She has, um, her, her um, husband and sons have died. She's trying to sell some land she had. Um, and since you're the closest to redeem that, uh, it's up to you. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, I want some land. He goes, but Ruth comes with it. You have to marry Ruth. And he goes, that's okay. He's like, you can take it, Boaz. I'm not, I'll skip on this deal. And Boaz is going, yes. All right? So he's like, got it. And so he gets married. They get married. And the final section of this is God blesses them with, um, let's, let's go there. Okay. We're at the end, chapter 4. And this is what it says. Verse 13 of chapter 4. I don't have it up there, so you've got to have a Bible. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. This is really important because earlier in the story, Naomi's like, I'm not blessed. Everything, God has cursed me. She has used this language not knowing God has been working through this whole thing. And now everyone's like, no, 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 you're blessed, Naomi. You're blessed. And so it says, He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Like talk about, they're just trying to honor Ruth and saying, look, look at this girl that shouldn't have been here, but man, has she knocked it out of the park. That's a baseball term. Arizona is in the World Series, by the way. Yeah. I'm really happy about that. Like when, when the Dodgers were knocked out, I was at, because of the things the Dodgers are doing right now, I'm like, good. I'm changing teams here for a second. Anyways, um, then Naomi, stop sidetracking us. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name. Okay, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. So this isn't his name, but this is the name everyone referred to him as. Okay, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That name is really important. Because that name, you know what that means? It's a servant, not David, Obed. Servant of God. Okay? And then we go on, the rest of it is just, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amadab. Amadab? Father, you can read the rest, okay? We don't need to go into all the names. 
Right? It ends with David. There you go. All right. But what's interesting about this is that Obed, this is, in, this is immensely important. As they said, this guy right here, servant of God. It's immediately connected to David. Immediately connected to David. You know why? Because David was the, the king that God said, this is where I'm going to bring the Messiah through. He's going to be my servant. But you know what this points us to after the cross? Points us to Jesus. The servant of God. Isaiah would start this off in Isaiah 44 and go through, they call it the, the songs of the servant, and it points us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the servant of God. Guess the lineage of Jesus? Ruth. And what's crazy is, it's one of those one moments, all Ruth had to say was, okay, Naomi, I'll go back to my people. That's who I know. And I don't want to go off to a land I don't know. I can get another guy. It's all good. But she said, no, I want to follow you. I want to follow your God. And God worked all this out. His plan. And it ends Judges. That's the ending of Judges. It's not... And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's not the ending of Judges. The ending of Judges is God saying, there is hope through the servant of mine. That's how Judges ends. And Ruth stands in this place of evil and more evil with God's promise right in the center. That's why Ruth is such an important book in the Old Testament. It's an easy read. You can read through four chapters pretty quickly. But it's so important to realize that God places this in here. The Holy Spirit says, I'm putting Ruth's story in here as a standalone story so that everyone would understand that God is still working when everything is hopeless and everything goes apart. God is still working in the midst of that. Still bringing about salvation through the midst of that. That's why Ruth is so important. There is no part of the Scriptures that you go that you should go, ah, that's not that important. Because if we do that, Ruth isn't that important. It's a quick story. It's just, oh, okay, lineage of David, that's pretty good. Okay, we know who David's grandmother is. Like that, if we're just looking at it as another piece of, oh, it's just part of the book, it's one of those chapters you go, ah, I don't really care about that, I'll just move on to the next one. But Ruth is extremely important because it's telling us in the midst of the judge's rebellion and destruction and moving away from God, God still is working through people who are seeking after His righteousness. And this is what He does throughout all of history. Noah works evil. Evil Noah is counted righteous. Why? Because he trusted in God. Ruth is counted righteous because she trusts in God. And God works that out to bring about our Messiah. The Savior of the world. And so, I think we just have one last one there. So this is what God is calling us to. Right? You got that up there? God is calling all His people to Righteousness. Like this was the issue with the judges. I was calling them to righteousness and they said, no, we'll do it our own way. And here's a woman 
that should not have been there. Like, can I emphasize that enough to you? She was a Moabite woman, should not have been married to an Israelite. She should not have gone with Naomi. It would have been better for her to stay behind because she knew everyone. She knew the area. She knew all that stuff. Everything else from here on out, she might have been, apparently she was very beautiful. She might have been able to get back and go with a better family. Instead, she went and she had to pick up because she was poor. She had to pick up doing uh, just go out there and working from. And they said that she worked from basically from dawn till dusk. That she was a hard worker, too. So think about that. Like she should not have been there yet. She said, I will follow your God, Naomi. And God says right there. That's what I want. And I'm going to do great things because of that one act of humility. Like, that's gigantic. So, that's what God's calling us to. Because, here's the thing. Jesus talks about, uh, in, in Matthew 5, and 6, and 7, our actions are very important. He tells us, don't hide them under a lamp. Right? Let shine. Be salt, be light. Why? So that people can see and glorify God. We should all be glorifying God because of Ruth. You say, thank you, Lord, for what Ruth did. Because, because of what Ruth did, I'm here. She chose the path of righteousness. She chose the path of Yahweh. And because of that, God blessed her. And through her, the servant of God comes, dies on the cross, raises from the dead, we are now the product of that. We are grafted into that family. That's why we pray for Israel. They are our family. We pray for them. And so we thank God, God, you're working. I want that. And so what, what, we should pursue the same thing. We should pursue the righteousness of God and then have that shown among men, among people. Because think about this. Her acts, her, her righteous acts, are counted to her because she has faith, right? Do we understand that? She wasn't, she wasn't righteous because she's the best. She's kind of righteous because of following Jesus, right? Following God, okay? Do we all get that? Okay. And we glorify God because of her, but we glorify God, not her, right? We're, we're good so far? Because of her... Sin, not, okay. Not because of her, because of the things she did leads to Jesus, right? Are we okay so far? We're not going to heresy yet? Jesus comes. Now, God could have done this a whole different way. This is the way He chose to do it. She com- he comes, sin is broken, right? Okay. Then He calls us to His righteousness. The show, the show before humans, right? Why? So that they could glorify God, so sin could be destroyed in their lives. Are we good? That's why it's so important for us to seek after the holiness of God, to live holy lives, so that we can shine, so that people go, I need that. So they can go to the cross 
and have the sin dealt with. Righteous acts breaks curse. Jesus' righteousness, righteousness through His people point people back to that righteousness so that the curses of sin on their lives can be eradicated. This is why it's so important for the church to be following God in a holy way. Not just a, I got my ticket out of hell. It's, Jesus says this, I will do that because His righteousness needs to be seen in me so they can point someone else back to Him so they can have forgiveness, so they can go and be with Him forever in, in, um, in eternity. I want to say heaven because it's a whole new creation. So just in eternity with Him. That's why it's so important that we live righteous lives. Not, right, not our righteousness. His righteousness lived out in us. Okay? So... That's why it's said like that. Righteous acts can be effective in breaking down sinful strongholds in people's lives. Why? Because it points them to... Someone said last week um, about the song Waymaker. He's a waymaker. Right? Miracle worker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. Yeah. Right. And what's going on with Judges? He's still working because Ruth is in the midst of that. And so my challenge for you this week is this. It's seek righteous lives. We talk about stop playing with sin. We look around and we go, you know what, God? If this is not right, take it from me. That's why Jesus says it's better to enter heaven with one eye. With one hand. Why? Because sin needs to be cut out. So God, if something is not right, cut it out. That should be our prayer every morning, every night, that tomorrow we move closer in righteousness to Him than we were yesterday. So in 10 years I can look back and say, man, I was back there, now I'm here only by the grace of God. Not because I did anything, but but the Holy Spirit has moved in me to move me away from that power of sin. Even though the power of sin is completely broken, I still want to play with it. As if it's a puppy. Like, no, I don't want that puppy. I want a great Dane. Anyways, that's a whole different thing. Whole different thing. Um, all right. The last thing. In your, in your bulletins, there should have been a little piece of paper. And it's a path to the cross. Yeah, it's a little bookmark. I want to challenge you to take that. Does someone have it I could use real fast? I only need one. That. Okay. If you can't see it, there should be one in your bulletin. It should be a lot, a lot closer. In it, it says the path of Ruth to the cross of Christ. Because Ruth said, I want to follow your God. That leads to the cross. Leads to Jesus, the servant of God. So that's why it says that. Then it says, it's from Psalm 25, 4. Make me, uh, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Make, I don't, make me, Lord. You know, there's a difference. And thank you. There's a difference in, Lord, hey, would you, could you just do this? Would you? And Lord, make me. Right? 
I don't know, um, one of the things that we have told our kids is, like, we'll, we'll say something like, hey, could you take out the trash? And it's a, it's a question, right? And we're like, okay, it's a question, but it's a command. It's an implied do it. Right? And, it, and it's, God, can you take me on the path that you would have me on? And what we should be saying is, make me, Lord. Like, make me. Not, not in the sense of make me, Lord. No, to, not like that, make me. But make me, Lord. Like, if I'm doing my own thing, make me turn away from that. Don't allow me to do the things I want. Make me. Force me over. Smack me in the head. Right? Get me onto the path of righteousness. Because there, especially as our world, like we talked about last week, as our world continues to go further and further into a judge's world, right? Just everyone doing the things they want to do. The church living in righteousness will shine ever brighter. It'll shine brighter and brighter if the church is seeking righteousness, seeking the Lord's righteousness, having that actually in their lives. It'll be a bright, shining city on a hill. Because it's going to get darker and darker until that day when the Lord comes back and He breaks out light everywhere. And what a day that will be. Right? When in Jesus I will see. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are good. You're glorious. You do great things for Your people. Lord, I thank You so much for Ruth. Lord, she, she did something that shouldn't have been done. She broke out of things that should have held her back. I know, Lord, that that was You. That You were moving in her to do those things. So, Lord, I thank You for her. I praise You for her. Praise You what You did through her to bring um, the Davidic dynasty, but more specific, to bring Jesus. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. But with Jesus, we have everything. So, Lord, I thank You so much for Him. Lord, I pray for us, Your people, that we would seek after Your righteousness as Ruth did. That we would love You as... Ruth loved Boaz, as Ruth loved Naomi, and even greater quantities as we move through this life until the day you call us home or you return. Father, we thank you so much for what you do. We praise you because you're good. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our midst in such a way that when we leave here, it'd be like Moses leaving from the mountaintop, just shone on us. Lord, that we would walk and people would say, man, I want, I want what that person has. What do they have? Jesus. Lord, I want that Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for us that we would walk in Your righteousness, exemplifying righteousness to others. Not ours, Yours. So, Lord, I thank You and I praise You in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.